All right, good morning. Welcome to church today. I'd like to welcome those of you at the Union Campus watching live through video. Always a privilege to gather, and here we are postured toward first days of school. I know some have already gone back, but I think it's officially everybody back here this week or the next. So uh, this is always a fun time, and I want to remind everybody in two weeks, we're not actually going to be here or at Union. Nobody at the Burlington Campus, nobody at the Union Campus. Church at the Park is two weeks from today. And uh, if you're a first-time guest, you're like, what in the world are you talking about, right? I'm a first-time guest, now you're already announcing that you're not having church at the church building. It's a true story. It's a very important announcement because anybody who shows up here, it's really a major bummer. If you show up for the 9.30 service, right, which you guys are here now, then you can still make it. It's 11 a.m. at UC Health Stadium where the Florence Freedom play. This is the third year we've done this. And it's fun because both campuses get together and we see people that we weren't even aware that went to First Church and uh, we gather for one service and so we're separated across multiple services, campuses. That part's fun, but that's not why we do it. We want to make it as easy as possible to invite people to an experience that they would enjoy and ultimately hear about the good news and grace of Jesus Christ. So there are invite cards and we don't want any invite cards to be left. And so we uh, take as many invite cards as we think that uh, we can get rid of, and we pray about the opportunities to invite people. So over the next two weeks, uh, take these invite cards. They're available at all the exits, both campuses, and, uh, and, and blitz your neighborhood, uh, your schools, your workplaces. And uh, some people ask me, we have a Thursday night service, uh, so what exactly do we say, right? Which is a pretty important question to ask uh, if you've never gone to Church at the Park. Uh, some of you haven't been there the last uh, couple of years. And so when you hand them an invite, say, hey, our church is throwing a party. We would love for you to come. Like, that's the basic tagline, because that's true. And especially if they have kids. It's going to be a ton of fun stuff for the kids. Now, we're going to have a church service, right? We're going to hear uh, about the grace of Jesus Christ. That's the primary reason why we gather. But most of us know that it's a much easier invite to a baseball field, for some people, than it is to a church building. So our church is throwing a party. We would love for you all to come. And if you already have that relationship, hopefully they're more inclined to say yes. That's why we're doing it. It takes a lot of time, a lot of, a lot of energy to decide to have church in a different location, and especially communication-wise. But we believe that it's worth it because the stories that are going to come from that. Now, as I mentioned, the fact that we gather across two campuses and several different services, one of the things that we often say, if you're a first-time guest, is so important to understand. As a church, we don't gather to put on a service. We don't gather to merely attend church. Instead, we believe the church is meant to be a family. And the best way that we experience church as a family is in the context of a small group. And so small groups aren't something that we like, oh, and by the way, we have a small group you can join. No, this is foundational to our church culture here and what it means to live out as a connected family. We believe the best care uh, that someone should get is from someone that they're doing life with, which is what we call our small groups. We call them life groups. So we're going to have sign-ups next week. That's why I'm letting you know today and uh, in, in an effort to really encourage you to take that next step if you haven't already to sign up for a small group at a table next week or online. I want to show you a video from one of our latest hires, and we've just been so unbelievably blessed to be able to bring on Gina Duggar onto our team. She helps lead our life group ministry, and she's going to share a little bit of her story and her personal experience in being part of a small group. Check it out. I moved here 28 years ago from San Diego, and um, I was a brand new Christian. And so the first time I walked into um, a local church here in the northern Kentucky area, it was so different than anything I had experienced. I grew up in an abusive household with the, um, an alcoholic father, 
So when I walked into church for the first time, I was a emotional mess. And it was through the process of being plugged in that my life was impacted and changed um, in a way that it wouldn't have been otherwise had I not taken that step. The scripture that comes to mind is um, in Proverbs, it talks about as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And that's exactly um, the experience that I had in being connected in um, a group and being in relationship with other believers that um, I could glean from and learn from. Um, I don't believe that we can grow in a healthy way outside of being connected in the body of Christ, grow spiritually. And that was true for me in my life. Um, my passion for, for groups and discipleship um, stems really from my own experience in my life that I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today had it not been for that. Um, my love for how I know that a life can be impacted through relationships and through um, this ministry, that's, that's where my passion comes from. And I, I wouldn't be sitting here today if it wasn't for groups, if it wasn't for a mentor in my life and someone discipling me, I wouldn't be sitting here today. So it's, it's literally changed the trajectory of my life for the rest of my life um, because of it. We all go through things in life, and we've all gone through things in life where um, we need to be around people, and we need a support system. Everyone needs a support system around them. Um, if you're not going through something, at some point in your life, you will go through something where you need the body to be, um, to be there for you. If you've never been a part of a group, I want to encourage you today to, to take a leap of faith and to go out and talk to someone that's in the lobby today that would love to connect with you. The way that my life was and the way that my life is today, I attribute to being connected in the body the way that the Lord intended for us to be. All right, so that's next week. Both campuses will be tables set up. And uh, you can also sign up online, which is also important to understand if you live in Campbell County. We're launching a Campbell County campus, and even though we don't have services there yet, we're already off and running with student ministry gatherings and small groups and serving opportunities. So uh, be in prayer for that next week. That's, that's a big deal. Uh, we don't want people to just settle for merely attending church. We want to live out being the family that God has in mind. Let me pray for us. Father, in these moments, as we consider your word and your direction for our lives, we pray for clarity. We pray for uh, conviction and courage to step into what you have for us. We want to live a life that honors you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week we kicked off a brand new series called Kingdom Come. This is a continuing conversation, really a part two to that uh, conversation we started last week. And so if you missed last week's message, you can always catch it on our website or on the Facebook group. But what's at stake in this three-week conversation is really the worth of our lives. Like at the end of our lives, what will our lives really be worth in the big picture of things? Will our lives be worth something beyond our own life? What I mean is, in Scripture, you'll read Jesus' command, call to us to seek first the kingdom of God. When he says seek first the kingdom of God, we have to assume that there are other kingdoms that we could be seeking. We already naturally get this, even if you're a first-time guest at church. You understand that all of our instincts, our natural bents, will be to establish our own personal kingdom. 
We're going to go after what it is that we want, kind of build our own profile and resume in in, an attempt to be affirmed by the world so that we can one day look back at our lives and think that our lives were worthy. We accomplished something. We became somebody. People praised us. Therefore, I must have lived a worthwhile life. But Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? We also had this conversation last week about how the church is a means to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a means to the church. Church is a a big deal. It's an important thing. But if you read in the original Greek, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels that describe Jesus' life and ministry, you're going to see the the word ecclesia, which means church, three times. You're going to see the kingdom of God over 51 times or the, the phrase kingdom of heaven. And what that means is that's what we're called to. The church is a means to establishing Christ's rule and reign everywhere. And so we live on earth, but we're walking in. What surrounds us is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And so we are called to be about his rule and reign. And so this phrase, kingdom come, you might be familiar with it. Again, even if you haven't been to church before, you may have heard the Lord's Prayer. Jesus instructs us how to pray. Our Father in heaven. That's a relationship. We get to call him Father. Hallowed be your name. Ultimate respect. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, again, this might be familiar phrasing, but let's stop and think about this for a second. That's unbelievable that that can even happen. (laughs) That we can experience heaven on earth. His kingdom come. How does that happen? Is what we talked about last week. Through prayer. We get to pray. Your kingdom come. It's this longing for heaven to come to earth. But it also happens in our actions. So today, we're continuing the conversation of what it looks like to be partners with God in establishing, advancing his kingdom. And so the person of Peter, uh, he, he very directly and even confidently from a place of conviction and leadership in the book First Peter is talking to uh, different groups of Christ's followers. In painting this picture of them hopefully understanding what they've been called to and how they can live out God's kingdom come. And so here's Peter and, and talking to the Christ followers at the time, but also giving us a vision of when we walk with Christ, here's the reality that he invites us to. You are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, right? This is for all of us Christ followers. Chosen to be a holy people. Don't miss this part. God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him. It's a high responsibility. He said, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Once we choose a relationship with Christ, we step into this realization of before him I was nothing. Before him I was living rejected, looking for acceptance in all the wrong places. But now that I know him, I realize that I have a purpose, a calling higher than what I even realized. Now what's interesting, we're kind of picking up where we left off last week, is the person who's speaking this vision into the people at the time and into us today. Peter, again, sounds pretty confident, speaking from a position of authority. What's his backstory? How did he get to this place? Because you could read that, and that's the only thing you read about Peter. Like, well, he's a super spiritual dude. Right? Like, all right, Peter, Peter he's, he has it all together. Here's some of his backstory. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
right? So you got 12 followers, 12 disciples there. That's who Jesus is talking to. Peter speaks up, right? Move to the head of the class. He got the right answer. Verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. Not something you could have put together on your own or someone could have spoken to you, but my, by my Father in heaven. Jesus says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. On this rock I will build my church, and the gate, gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys, here it is, of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is a definitive moment in the history of why we get to gather today and what it means to bring heaven to earth. There's now this intersection, this overlap, that through the means of building the church, God has given us the, the keys to the kingdom. Like we have accessibility through the person of Jesus Christ. And this is how it all began. Now, what's really, really interesting, again, with Peter, Peter's backstory, if this is all you've, you've heard about him, you're like, okay, well, Peter's got it all together. And now, I don't, you don't always know the timing of, of what, how things unfold in Scripture, but if you're reading this, this is the very next uh, couple of verses, right? After that just happened, wow, Peter, well done, you got the right answer. On this rock, I'm going to build my church. Notice verse 21. This is amazing. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, in that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life, right? Can you imagine hearing this from the person you've been following? Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you, right? You're protective for those that you love, right? The ones that you've walked with closely. Notice what Jesus then says, verse 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. That was a quick fall, wasn't it? Like, on this rock, I will build my church. Get behind me, Satan. Same dude. Jesus says, you're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Has Jesus changed his mind? He's like, whoops, got that wrong. Jumped the gun a little bit. He hasn't. And this is what's good news for us. The very person that he said, on this rock, I will build my church, who he then follows up in the, seemingly the next conversation and says to him, get behind me, Satan. You don't even understand what God's trying to do. Is, he, is Jesus still going to build his church on that rock? Yes. And this is good news for us because we see that God uses imperfect people to advance his kingdom. God uses imperfect people to advance his kingdom. So you don't miss this. Our role in advancing the kingdom is not competency. It's not having it all together, but instead it's accessibility. It's accessibility. All we need to know is who Jesus is in our lives. <laughs> and then he calls us to action. We're ready because of who we belong to. What makes us equipped for this high calling is who we belong to. I mean, what, what led to Jesus saying to Peter that on this rock will, I will build my church? Why, why would he respond like he did? Well, simply Peter saying, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Apparently that's enough that he would have that knowledge and that conviction and connection in who Jesus is in his life. Even though Peter obviously didn't know how Christ's mission would play out, right? He's like, no, 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 you're not going to die. He didn't know how. He still knew who Jesus was. And apparently that was enough. See, my, my prayer for us is that we would personalize this the best that we can so that we see how God wants to use us as we are where we are. Because I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I'll ever be equipped enough, ready enough, competent enough where I say, all right, God, I'm, I'm good. Read enough books, you know, on enough mission trips. I think I'm ready now. No, God says, if you know me, you're ready now. 
I mentioned last week one of our ministries, uh, Whiz Kids, that we do at both campuses where we help uh, kids after school learn how to read. And even that can be a pretty intimidating thing when you meet you know, a student for the very first time. And after the Whiz Kids program uh, ended uh, this past year at our Burlington campus, I heard a story about uh, our very own Shirley Barton. Uh, she's had a student for two and a half years uh, named Sage. A little boy named Sage started with him when he was seven. He's now 10. And the very first time they met, Sage said to Shirley, you are the horriblest tutor I've ever had. <laughs> not a good start. And apparently not true either, because if you're using words like horriblest, the other tutors must not have been that great either. <laughs> but Shirley stuck, <laughs> Shirley stuck with it, right? And so what happens over the course of these two and a half years is obviously this building of this relationship a foundation of love to the point that, unfortunately, in a freak accident, Sage's stepdad uh, was killed. And in that moment, Sage's mom, who does she call? She calls up his tutor, Shirley. And Shirley, while uh, Sage's mom is making funeral arrangements, is, is driving him and his siblings around. And uh, when they were driving around, they ended up passing uh, the Burlington campus here. And Sage pointed to this building and said, that's where I first learned about God. So the, Shirley's just showing up to a moment, right, where she's being asked to, you know, help lead and help a kid learn how to read. But what that ends up, what ends up happening is this connection with God. And she doesn't view herself as someone who is equipped or qualified. She's just showing up to the opportunity to love. And that's, in essence, our vision for Church at the Park, that there will be people who decide to come and they are surprised that there's that level of love and grace that exists in a father in heaven and for the rest of their years on earth when they drive by uc health stadium they point to that stadium and say that's where i first learned about a god who loves me as i am see if you know jesus as savior and lord you have a story that equips you to advance the kingdom if you know him and experience have experienced his love his grace you've chosen him as savior and lord you have a story and that story equips you to be a partner in advancing the kingdom See, our, that's our purpose in life, to be partners with God. 1 Corinthians 3 uses the word co-laborers, co-laborers. Last week I read a, a quote by Reggie McNeil. I'm going to read again today because I really like it. He said, Jesus did not establish the church to start a new religion called Christianity. He said he established the church as an expression of the kingdom for the people of God as they partner with him in his redemptive mission in the world. That's our calling as a church, because this church is temporary. You and I are temporary, but the kingdom of God is not, but we're the means to what is forever. Now, what's interesting is this is the same mission that Jesus himself had. Advancing the kingdom of God was the very purpose of Christ's life. Notice Luke 4, 43. Jesus, after spending time in Capernaum healing people, he said to that crowd, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus was sent to be on the move, and now we're sent as well. Right? Again, I mentioned last week, this is about as big a conversation as it gets for us. What is the purpose of my life? What would God have me to do? Is to be about his kingdom, to be advancing it. John 20, 21, Jesus said to his disciples, peace be with you. This is after he rose from the dead, before he's ascending to his father, right? So he said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive 
the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. So what do we need in order to be sent and effectively advance the gospel? What do we actually need? Number one, knowledge of who Jesus is. Who is he in our, our lives? Is he the one that we belong to? But number two, the presence of his spirit in our lives. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we're not advancing the kingdom through our own efforts, but through the following of the spirit that is the gift to us when we choose Jesus as our savior. So in essence, when we step back and look at our lives, what is the call over the course of our lives is that life is essentially supposed to be one long mission trip. It's one long mission trip, except without the cute matching t-shirts that you, you might wear on a short, <laughs> right? Many of us have probably been on short-term mission trips, and right, and that's fun, like, going to do a good work. Hey, we all match. That looks good. We got a cute tagline, church, whatever it might be. Then we come back and we get into our everyday lives. And so we, we, right, that changes us, that impacts us, that grows our faith, and we get to serve people. But oftentimes, we fail to realize that, you know, it's not something you clock out from. Wow, that mission trip was nice. I can't wait to go on the next one, right? And short-term mission trips, right, we do those regularly. They play an important role. We have to have a proper view of how we're supposed to live our lives on a daily basis. It's a mission trip, a call to be on a mission trip every single day. Reggie McNeil, he goes on and says this. People living out a kingdom-focused narrative don't see life as being compartmentalized into sacred or secular components. He said, for them, every activity and relationship is an opportunity to be a person of blessing. Every interaction is an opportunity to carry out God's mission for our lives, to love the one in front of us. In fact, this is one of the primary reasons why we decided to start a Thursday night service, right? If you're a first-time guest, we have a Thursday night service every single week. It's the exact same as Sunday mornings, first service of the weekend. And what led us to that decision partly was the, the conversations we were having with many of you. You're obviously working on the weekend or uh, maybe you know, during the summer you're going to the lake or you're doing something like that. But especially people who uh, are very active in their kids' lives and they're part of traveling soccer leagues or volleyball leagues and whatever leagues are out there. And we live in a culture where, unfortunately, Sunday is just another Saturday. It didn't used to be like that, but it is. And so we're going to embrace that reality. And so a number of you came to me and said, man, I'm having a tough time because some of the best relationships and friendships that we're building are on the weekend with these people that we're spending a lot of time with in the, the volleyball, soccer leagues, lacrosse, whatever it might be. But we're not able to come to church except for once or twice every, every couple of months. And like, man, we feel like we have to make a decision. And so I'm thinking, well, what is it, what is it that we're called to as a church? <laughs> is it just to gather forever and be glad that we're all going to heaven one day and we sit around and, and, and we're grateful for that? Or is it to advance the kingdom? And so that's why we started a Thursday night service so that people could be all in, in the places, the opportunities they have to build those intentional relationships, to have the important conversations, to love the one in front of them. They wouldn't be forced to, to give that up because they felt guilty because they weren't coming to church. Well, let me be more clear. Jesus didn't die so that we could have church. He died to save the world. Whether or not we're a means to advancing that is if we get beyond merely gathering. This is where it begins, not where it ends. And so we gather on a Sunday morning. It's important because it's an equipping time. We sing to God. We're grateful that we get, we get to be in relationship with him. We hear from his word for the sake of equipping and be better at going. So kingdoms, right, this is a common language that Jesus would use because uh, it's very relatable. And so there's just, again, if you study this, we could have a you know, six-month series on the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. And Jesus would often say the kingdom of God is like. And he would use a very relatable metaphor in that moment. 
And so when we think about this idea of kingdom and the fact that we all get to be a part of it, we need to break down some barriers as far as our perception, right? When we think of, okay, there's certain religious, maybe professional people that are really the ones that are supposed to be leading the charge and, and doing that. But First Peter paints a, a different picture of what we're all chosen to enter into, what we've all been called to, this royal priesthood. It's only royal because of the king that we belong to. So let me be clear. Kingdoms have priests. Kingdoms have preachers, but they also must have farmers, governors, painters, engineers, drivers, writers, carpenters, scientists, plumbers, diplomats, teachers, doctors, nurses, cooks, philosophers, sculptors, and even lawyers. It's hard to believe. God wants... I know, it's probably offensive. I don't even know how many lawyers we have in the church here, but they're good ones, I'm sure. God wants to use every single one of us as we are where we are, right? We can't compartmentalize. All right, this is my work, you know, it doesn't really mean anything. No, that's a primary vehicle that God wants to, to use to advance his kingdom. So when you go to work, you're heading into, out into the mission field with the primary purpose of being used by God. I wake up, God, use me. And a lot of times we don't have a story to tell at the end of the day. Right? That's some dramatic moment where we led somebody to Jesus, but he's using us in ways we can't even realize when we show up, as we mentioned last week, to the call of loving the one in front of us. See, God intends to use you to bring heaven on earth through kindness, fairness, mercy, respect, gratitude, generosity. Every single time we reflect him, his character, live out the fruits of the spirit, we're bringing heaven on earth. It doesn't feel that dramatic, but this is the picture that God paints for us. To the point that people end up asking, why are you the way that you are? <laughs> the way that you act, the way that you are extremely patient and forgiving and gracious, it seems up to, upside down with my experience with the rest of humanity. This is the goal. This past Tuesday, uh, my wife Emily uh, she threw a class reunion for all of her past classes. She's a uh, second and third grade teacher at Yaley in New Haven. And she's done this the last couple of years. And uh, she's just invited, right, all of her past classes to show up to Orange Leaf. And so this is this past Tuesday. And so we overtake Orange Leaf. They're probably what's wondering what's going on. And, uh, and it was interesting. And in, I overheard some of Emily's conversations with different people about the fact that she was doing this. And it, it was interesting how many people were just shocked that she would do something like that. <laughs> like, wow, that's, that's crazy. It seems to be going above and beyond. But for Emily, it's like, why wouldn't I? I miss them, haven't seen many of them in a long time. But the way in which she viewed her role as a teacher in the school system, which all of us should know is one of the primary areas of influence and opportunities to make a difference in a kid's life, she viewed it as way beyond just a job or teaching kids and giving them information and, and more knowledge. It was an opportunity for family. She showed up to love them well, so naturally she will miss them. And so they all, right, uh, you know, I'm the one watching the kid, right, in this time, so I take Levi and I get to just kind of observe all this happening and they walk in the door and they're just ecstatic to be able to see Emily and many of them they haven't seen for a while. She was more than a teacher. She was someone who showed up and loved them and showed value to them and let them know that they mattered. She wouldn't have it any other way. She saw them and still does see them like family. So do your students, clients, customers, right, how do they see you in the way that you interact with them? Do you see them as those who are loved by God? It can be tough sometimes, right? We get impatient, we get frustrated, but do we see the one in front of us as someone who's loved by God, as future citizens in the kingdom of God? If you do, you serve them well. 
you serve them well because you understand their value to God. God's already at work in their lives pursuing them. We get to show up and plant seeds. We choose to reflect that value in the way that we treat them. Now, whenever we have this conversation, it's very intimidating. Right? I don't know about you, but oftentimes you think about, okay, handing out invite cards to church, whether it's Easter, church at the park, having a spiritual conversation. We can feel a lot of pressure, again, because we, we feel like we have to have all of the right words. And if we get the words wrong, then they're going to give up on church and God forever. It's, just, right? it's an intimidating thing. Or sometimes we feel rushed, you know, like, okay, well, I heard at church you're supposed to um, you know, smile and be kind to the cashier at the grocery store and maybe invite them, but there's a long line. Like, what do I do in such a short amount of time? And so this is very important for us to understand our role as being primary of loving the one in front of us and doing our part. Billy Graham put it this way. I thought this was helpful perspective. He once said, it is God's job to judge, the Spirit's job to convict, and my job to love. That's where we start. And we have no idea at what point God is using us in someone's journey. Sometimes we're the first one to let them know that somebody cares about them. Other times it might be further along in their journey where we help explain our we tell our story of how we've gone from nothing to something, rejected to accepted, our experience with God's love. And they end up hopefully making a decision, responding at least with a certain level of openness to that love as well. See, when I pray, your kingdom come. When we pray, your kingdom come, are we then becoming part of the answer to that prayer by loving well? See, when Christianity gets reduced to a belief system, or a set of rituals where we're just church attenders, we miss out on God's vision for the kingdom. That it would be an everyday lifestyle of reflecting something not of this world. So we must first personalize our prayer. And pray this, your kingdom come. Your will be done in me, as it is in heaven. Your will be done in me first, so that I can see properly the world as you see the people around me. Our hearts must experience heaven now, because we're not of this world, as we talked about last week. Peter was unqualified. He was unqualified. We're unqualified, except for one characteristic. Peter had been with Jesus. He had been with Jesus. If we've been with Jesus, if we know Jesus as Savior and Lord, we are equipped to be advancers of the kingdom. Now, I want to close by reading uh, some words from someone who uh, had powerful perspective and really his passion in life was reconciling poverty and social injustice to the point where in 1980 he was even killed for his extreme efforts. And it was a sad reality. His name is Archbishop Oscar Romero. Romero in, uh, he, was, he worked in El Salvador. And so I want to close with reading what he wrote a long time ago that I think is his powerful perspective on our role in advancing the kingdom. And then after I read this, uh, I'll close some prayer. He said, it helps now and then to step back and take a long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is a way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that could be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's mission. No set of goals and objectives includes everything. This is what we are about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. 
We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything, and there's a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. Let's pray. Fathers, we consider what sometimes feels like the daunting task of living out your mission as the church to invest and advance the kingdom. I pray that we will slow ourselves down to be more disciplined than ever, to be used by you in the moment, the place that you have us, to love well the one in front of us. And in those times when we feel the pressure to say more, to have to do more, or feel like they don't care, they don't respond, I pray that we just continue to show up and do the right thing. Reflect your spirit that as we're obedient to you and finding joy and knowing our story of being saved and having that hope in you, people catch a glimpse. That story's for them as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.